on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Mornings with Leon Compton. There's three people visiting from the US who are touring Tasmania at the moment. They're from a group called Justice Speakers International. And in their country's context, they're thinking about different forms of justice. Historically, when you go in front of the justice system, you you know either end up on a supervision order, you'll end up in jail or you'll end up not guilty. But it's becoming clearer that therapeutic and diversion programs, so different creative new ways of dealing with people in front of the courts can have better outcomes. Brian McKenzie is a judge and a judicial educator. Brian, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Lovely to see you in the studio it's, this it's morning. Pleasure Thank you to for be coming here. in. I want to say good morning to David Wallace, who describes himself as the traffic safety guy. We'll <laughs> unpack that in just a moment, David. Good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Uh, let's say good morning as well to Mac Jenkins, a chief probation officer in the US justice system. Mac, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank I you for having I feel like us. we can learn more about what all of you do. So let's start with that. Mac, what is a chief probation <laughs> officer, please? A chief probation officer runs a probation department in the United States, and probation in the United States are individuals who have committed crimes, been convicted or pled guilty, and instead of being incarcerated, are allowed to remain in the community under terms and conditions. So the chief probation officer, much like a chief of police, runs that agency. And this can also be true when you're released from jail, right? That you then spend time on probation and are supervised. That's that's completely accurate. Some, because probation itself, again, is in lieu of confinement. But sometimes when people are granted probation in the United States, they may serve a period of time in jail. And once they leave jail, they'll then serve two or three years on probation under supervision. So that's how the United States does it. All right, let's find out what the traffic guy does. David, <laughs> David Wallace, what, is the tra- what are you as a traffic safety guy? Well, that's, that's sort of what I try to do on the side there to focus on how can we be a safer tr- driver? How can we make roads safer for everybody? But I'm also uh, the chief assistant prosecutor in the States. It's my, real, my full-time gig, so to speak, uh, where I uh, prosecute criminal offenders to hold them accountable for their actions. Mm. Um, Our perception is you have, again, similar but different. It's quite a similar system in the US, but different as well. You've had an enormous growth in your prison population over years. And I'm wondering about the lessons that that we might have to learn from you. How dramatic has the thinking about when to prosecute, what to prosecute for, how dramatic has that been in the United States? It's been huge, over the, especially over the last 30 years. We had that huge increase in our prisons, and uh, it hasn't really made, in some respects, that didn't really make things safer to some extent. Crime leveled off. It lowered a little bit. Uh, but the concern we have then is who do, who's the appropriate person to put in a prison? Is it this person that we're afraid of, or is it the person we're mad at? The person we're mad at typically might be someone that has uh, a substance use disorder. So that's not someone that really deserves prison. That's someone we want to focus on a different way. Whereas the person we're that's afraid of, the one that has a violent crime, that has hurt someone seriously, uh, yeah, those ones, as a prosecutor, as you might imagine, I have no problem saying they should be in jail. And so to you, Brian McKenzie, my perception is that in part the United States has been driven to thinking about new ways of, of handling people in front of the courts. Prison's expensive. Yeah. Uh, it's very expensive. Uh, I think in California right now it costs about $170,000 a year to house someone for, in prison. That's a lot of money. If you have a person who's suffering from a substance use disorder, traditionally we call addiction, but it's actually more than that, Um, you can treat them and be much more effective 
in getting them back into society as a taxpaying citizen through an approach that we call drug treatment courts in the United States. By doing that, you can make society safer at lower cost. Pat Burton described this to me, a well-known Tasmanian sort of person thinking in the the justice space here. He said that America is solving problems that we haven't got to yet. Um, Mm. Tell me about how how are the ways that you're thinking about probation, please, Mac, um, in ways that we might consider to make a better Tasmania? I really appreciate the question because what has happened and what is happening in the United States is probation, among other entities in our justice system, are learning from research and evaluating what hasn't worked in the past. So part of the focus of probation departments in the United States right now is to be focused on behavior change. And what's important about that is prior to this focus on behavior change, many probation departments during a period of time in the United States would have taken what we call a trail them, nail them, jail them approach. But now the approach is to do a thorough assessment of the individual so that we can determine what are the drivers of their criminal conduct and then focus in in terms of a case plan, working with other partners, primarily clinicians, treatment partners, so that we can be focused on accountability and changing behavior. That's the focus of probation in the United States now. Um, Interesting, of course, because what you need to do at that point is decide you're going to spend a lot more money up front and save it down the line. How have you gone making the case? Well, it, you make the case by, by evaluating results and, and then seeing what works and what doesn't work. So in terms of spending a lot more money up front, we might spend money on, on tools and practices that will allow us to do a more thorough assessment because it's, this is really important. One of the things we've learned in the United States is that a person is more than the crime that they pled to or been convicted of. Because for a long time, our system in the United States operated just entirely, almost entirely, on the crime that the person was convicted of. But that tells us nothing about what might have been, again, the antecedents, if you will, to that behavior. So we look more deeply. So we do spend that money up front and then also want to spend a lot of money on teaching and giving probation officers skills to effectively engage with individuals to help change their behavior. And there's abundant research in the United States that shows that approach works. From a prosecution sense, though, David, how amenable are you? You need to be open-minded to a lot of this in terms of who you seek to chase and how you seek to prosecute, if you seek to prosecute. How, have, how dramatically have you had to change what you do as a prosecutor? Oh, absolutely. I've been a pro- I started prosecution back in 1985. And as you can well imagine, back at that time, anyone did anything wrong whatsoever, judge, they should go to jail. They should be incarcerated. Uh, But I've learned um, over time that that doesn't work, that it's a tool that has to be used. Obviously, I always have no issue about jail, but we want to use what's more effective, what's going to really change behavior, what's going to make our communities safer. My mission as a prosecutor has always been, how do I make the community safer? And if I can find ways that are more effective that will do the job better, I'm absolutely going to be open to that and support that any way I can. If I can come in on this, um, Max on the board of Parents of Murdered Children in the United States. David's a prosecutor. I was awarded the highest award, judicial award, Parents of Murdered Children give. So when we look at this, all of us understand the victim perspective. And all of us understand that what people fundamentally want is to be safe. 
And if you can design a system that works in a way that makes people safer, you get less victims and you get better outcomes. So across the United States, when we talk about things like uh, procedural fairness, therapeutic jurisprudence, and, and treatment courts, what you see is the victim groups are all in favor of it. And one of the things I want to sort of just mention is you have a an old women's prison. I think it's called the Ladies Factory that my the wife, female factory, my wife Karen and Max Frangina went to yesterday, and there was a whole history about it and how it didn't work. What you want to do is start talking about applying the data that Max talking about so that people in Tasmania are safer. Because ultimately, isn't that what we want from our justice system? If from thinking about it from a victim's perspective, yep. it might be an argument that helps win the case, but I'm sure if I look down at my text messages right now, <laughs> I'll see that people who have been victims of crime get really frustrated if we're talking about less punitive sentences. But it so, isn't in that sense less punitive. Hmm. Mac, you've got a point on well, this. Well, just that I, I'm so glad that you're getting text messages from victims because th- that's what victims want, voice. So victims want to be treated as something other than complaining witnesses in a case. So it, it, it's we, de- we don't need to try and guess what victims want. Listen to what victims want. And what victims do want, particularly when their, their, their loved ones have been murdered, they want the justice system to recognize that their loved one mattered. And they want a response to that loss that is commensurate with it. And that so, is that's so, part of therapeutic jurisprudence, giving people voice. So, again, it's just a matter of victims believe – victims are not concerned with outcomes. I'll just be quite candid about that. Victims generally are not concerned with outcomes for the justice system. Victims are, are want to be concerned, again, that they have voice and that the system – they believe in the, the goals of the system, which include retribution on sometimes. But it's not a matter of a choice between punishment or, or a therapeutic response. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of knowing that the system recognizes that their loved one had value and that the response to the loss of that loved one is commensurate with their loved one's value. That's what I hear from individuals that I work with on parents of murdered children all the time. 